Podcast listeners. It's Mike. This week on the Upload Podcast, I've got a continuation of our conversation from last week, which was about creating value when everything is free or is headed towards free. And I promise, this time I have the final update on the saga of assembling Eve's playset. So more on that in just a second. So if you've been listening to the podcast, you know that I have had an ongoing struggle with assembling this playset for my daughter, Eve. And I can tell you today, thankfully, it's her birthday. She's two years old, and she was able to swing on her playset today, no problem. Uh, Actually, she's been able to do it for a few days now. So I did finally get everything assembled, and I'll put uh, a picture of the finished product up on the show notes. And I, I do have to caveat that I have a few additional pieces to add on, but the core of it, the slide, the swings, all of that, the roof, it's all on there. It was one of those things that it just felt like it was never going to end. I I had a constant struggle with not only the stain, but getting the parts. Some of them were missing, that kind of thing. And then when I actually went to assemble it, I had the joy of finding out that the directions were wrong in several places. So that was fun. And then one time I even got to the point where uh, my brother-in-law was helping me out and we assembled a good portion of it in the garage to try to, you know, assemble it on level ground, only to find out that we could then not get it out of the garage. It was stuck in the garage. Um, That was probably user error, although I'd like to blame it on them somehow. But we had to take it apart a little bit, get it out there, and all is well now. So after some uh, blood, sweat, and tears, we were finally able to assemble the playset, and I'm so happy it's over. But uh, as always, as a homeowner... There's going to be something else around the corner. There will be something new. Actually, as a matter of fact, sitting on the stairs behind me, uh, there is a table now, a a play table that I have to assemble. But enough about that. Uh, I know uh, this week I don't have a lot of time. Uh, I have been running around all over the place because tomorrow, uh, as long as the schedule doesn't change, I'm giving an executive presentation, and I've just been running all over the place trying to prepare for that. And I feel like every waking moment of my brain energy has been dedicated to preparing for this presentation. It's kind of a big deal for my team, making sure that we uh, prove the value of what we're working on and get buy-in from our executive sponsor. So uh, that's exciting, but it's also pretty stressful at the same time. So I'll keep it short this week so I can get back to focusing on that. But I did want to just share a little more. Uh, Like I said, last week we talked about the first four generatives or ways of creating value when everything is free or moving towards free. So uh, if you think about Napster and how Napster started to offer music for free, what happened then was the music industry had to find other ways of creating value. So we talked through four of those um, last week. And if you remember, it's from the book, The Inevitable. Uh, I have that in the show notes if you're interested in the book. It's a it's a good read. Uh, I'm listening to it on Audible. I don't think I would want to read it uh, in book format just because it's really heady and it's easier just to digest it through my ears. Um, so I, I listen to it when I'm walking or driving, that type of thing. And some of the headiness, I can just kind of zone out when he goes on long rants and just focus on the good parts because there are definitely parts that are uh, are pretty out there. But if you remember, the four from last week were immediacy, personalization, interpretation, and authenticity. Those were four ways to create value when everything's free. If uh, those aren't familiar to you at all, I encourage you to jump back and listen to the previous episode. This week, though, I want to touch on the next four and kind of what I'm thinking about with those and how I've been trying to process them and apply them to side hustling, uh, entrepreneurship, but then also just to the workplace. That's kind of how I want to wrap it up today is to talk a little bit about 
What if you aren't an entrepreneur and you just want to know how to apply some of these things to the work that you do every day? I think there's some some interesting ways to do that. So jumping right into it, uh, number five is accessibility. So what this one is about, iTunes is a great example of this. iTunes provides access to media. This is the way that they're creating value and making money off of it. So owning a huge library of media used to be really complicated and difficult and honestly just not something that was enjoyable. So a lot of kids today probably have no experience with this, but maintaining a physical library of CDs or albums or VHS tapes or whatever type of media form it was, maintaining a bunch of copies of things was actually difficult because one, you had to have space for it. So we had to buy these huge bookshelves or store them in boxes and then you couldn't find it when you wanted it. Uh, We had to maintain them so you couldn't let water damage, you couldn't let the heat get to them, or else you just flat out lost your copy. Compare that today to iTunes or any other Amazon Prime, any other platform like that that you're paying for access to the media that you've bought, where it's available on pretty much any device you want. You could pull it up uh, through an app and watch your movie on any device. Imagine that 10 years ago. Uh, You don't have to worry about maintaining it because it's all stored on a variety of servers in the cloud. So even if one of those servers burns down or gets bombed for some reason, no big deal because your copy is on uh, a bunch of other servers and you'll still be able to pull it up and access it. So access, and this sounds like a tech-heavy one, but access is a big way that we create value when ownership sucks. So um, another way to think about that is something like Uber. So owning a car isn't really all that convenient sometimes. Some people don't want all the upkeep and the maintenance. So Uber is a great example of how somebody took advantage of, hey, I'm going to make it really easy for you to have access to transportation whenever you want it. So it doesn't always have to be tech heavy, although tech is one of the great ways that we enable access. But I think whatever your side hustle or freelance work or entrepreneurship is, you could probably find ways to give people access to something that they don't want to own. So that's one you just kind of have to sit and think on a little bit. And what what would that be in my industry or in my line of work? But I'm sure there's ways out there because this is the trend that everything is going to. If you haven't noticed, look around you. There's monthly subscriptions for everything. Pretty much any industry you can imagine, there's some sort of monthly subscription trying to replace ownership. The next one, number six, is embodiment. This one's kind of cool, especially for people like us. I think this is one that we can take advantage of, uh, especially if you're in the creative arts of any form. And what this one is talking about is when everything's free and easily accessible, and there are abundant copies of it everywhere, think music, think movies, whatever it might be, one way to create value, one way you could charge for something is to create a physical experience of it that's unique. That's worth paying for. So whether that's a uh, performance of it that you just got to be there to see it, you got to really just experience a U2 concert in person because it's so much better than the CD. That's an example. Any way that you could take what you're offering and make it social. So if that's having a meetup or a get together where you're sharing about it or talking about whatever it is that you're passionate about, or you know, however you could get people together so that they have a social connection and an ability to come out, come out of their shell and have a reason to get out of the house, right? A reason to get away from their computer or their, their cell phone and actually talk to people. You could charge money for that. It sounds crazy, but uh, as we move to a more tech-heavy world, 
it's going to be valuable when people create meaningful social interaction that's a great experience and something we want to be part of. So embodiment is one of them. Number seven is patronage. And he talks about um, how people like to reward artists. And this is just a social phenomenon. People really enjoy feeling a sense of connection to a celebrity or person that they admire. Um, It doesn't have to be someone who's famous, but just someone who they admire and they want to contribute to that person's success. So it could be a writer, it could be a musician, an artist, whatever it is. There's plenty of examples out there. And there's lots of websites now that actually enable this. So this could be one avenue that you look into taking if you're trying to find a way to make some money to support yourself is why not open it up a little bit and see if your users or your audience is willing to support you. Now, he does outline uh, four things that he felt are necessary uh, for it to work. And I think these are important to consider because this might be the reason why, if you ever put a hat out and hoped for money, that uh, you didn't get money. So the first one is it should be extremely easy to give, right? So to donate or whatever it is, you have to make it easy. If it's like this four-step form they got to fill out or they got to click and then they got to download a separate app to be able to forget it. The moment you say they've got to do something else, it's over. You got to catch them at the moment like a hat where they could just drop a dollar bill in it. That's it. Make it so easy for them to give. Click one button, donate $5. Click this button, donate a dollar. Don't even ask them to enter in the amount if possible. Just make it foolproof, easy, liquid. Super easy for them to to do it. Um, The next one is the amount must be reasonable. So um, if you are not a celebrity, you're not incredibly well-known, you probably shouldn't be asking $50 for a copy of your ebook or $50 for a copy of your CD when you're not a published musician, when you don't have a recording studio or something. So it's got to be a reasonable amount compared to the market. Maybe it could be a little more depending on what kind of value you're adding. And that's the, that's the third part is there has to be a clear benefit to the person who is your patron. So are they getting a copy of something? Are they getting to uh, do a Google Hangout with you that no one else gets to do? Are they getting to have an inside scoop? Like, do they get access to information about you? Or is it simply just the fact that they feel connected to you in a way that other people don't? Um, there, There has to be some sort of value that you're creating. It doesn't have to be something you're giving away or some material thing, but you should think long and hard about how am I creating value for someone who's going to uh, give money. Um, and the other one is that you have to make sure that it's very clear that any donation is going to benefit you um, directly and it's not filtering through someone else. So I know I've seen this a lot with some websites that said, hey, sponsor so-and-so to go to college. Oh, and by the way, this website's going to take a 20% cut of whatever you donate. I was like, forget that. You're crazy. I mean, sure, you're making it more convenient for me to donate to this cause or to uh, support this person who's trying to start a business or whatever, but I'm not giving you random tech platform a 20% cut of what I'm giving. So make sure that the money is flowing through to you, and it's obvious that that's happening as quickly and easily as possible so people don't feel like they're contributing to some big corporate machine or something like that. So I think that's I think those are all some good points that he brought up and, and definitely worth considering. Um, the final one, number eight, is discoverability. So all of the previous ones that uh, he talks about in the book are about some sort of creative work or something that you could create 
um, that you're producing, right? So discoverability, though, is more about aggregating other people's works. So you might think of this as the curator. That's a big word right now. And it is a huge, huge need with all of the information we have out there with the millions or billions of producers that we have today. It used to be that we had scarcity of content. There were only a few people making videos. Only so many people had access to video equipment and knew how to do it. Today, Every 12-year-old kid has a smartphone with a video camera on it and is posting stuff to YouTube. So there is no scarcity in video. There's no scarcity in photography. There's no scarcity in, in book writing. There's you know, millions of ebooks written every year. What is scarce now is the ability to find out what's good and to know where the hidden gems are. So if you're the type of person that can take work and sift through it and find the good, find the gems. That's one way discoverability can add value. But also taking and combining uh, other works to create a new whole. So uh, if you want to think about uh, theatrical trailers and then remixing those into a comedy, like if it was a horror trailer and then you remixed it into a comedy or vice versa, I've seen some of those. That's a good example of remixing and taking two separate works or a soundtrack and applying it to a different video, that type of thing. And those are silly examples, but uh, there is a need for people to sift through the noise and find value. And there's also a need for people who can take all the stuff that's out there and make something that's actually good out of it. So playlists or best of, or whatever it might be. Um, So there's a never-ending supply of options of what you could do there. But the, the biggest thing is that people need guidance. People need guidance in this world. They are lost a lot of times with all the options that are out there. There's so many choices, so many services, so many providers, and they need someone to tell them at least one option of what to do or here's what I would do in this situation. So I think that is a definite way you can add value no matter what you're doing. If you can provide guidance in your area of expertise and help people find their way, they're going to be willing to pay you for it. Uh, So the last thing I wanted to do here is just uh, talk through again, like I mentioned earlier, uh, some ways that we could apply this. But before I jump into this, I just want to read this quote from the book that I copied down. Um, And this is what he talks about after he finishes the eight. And he kind of discusses the eight. He says, these eight qualities require a new skill set for creatives. Success no longer derives from mastering distribution because distribution is nearly automatic. So it's not about controlling the supply chain, blah, blah, blah. The technical skills of copy protection are useless because you can't stop copying. Hello, music industry. They kind of found that one out. Same with the skills of hoarding and scarcity. Success in this new realm requires mastering the new liquidity. So basically what he's saying is the things you probably learned in business school 15 or 20 years ago about how you have to create scarcity and you have to dominate the supply chain and you have to crush the others in your market, all those kind of things they're starting to not be quite as applicable. They're starting to change. And instead, we have to live with the fact that copying is abundant, that people produce more content than we could possibly ever view, that people are going to share what you create no matter what. There's no way to prevent people from sharing what you do. No matter how much you try, people are going to find a way to copy and paste. So how else can you create value? How can you benefit from that? How can you ride the wave of them sharing it? And So what I think he's really saying is that 
the skill set that we need for today and for especially tomorrow is very different from what we've used in the past and really for a long time in the past because technology has accelerated this change so quickly. So to me, once again, I know I'm I'm broken record saying this stuff, but when I hear something like that, I think light light bulbs going off, um, opportunity everywhere, right? If you can master this skill set, if you can ride the wave and you can uh, be open to these eight generatives, these eight ways of creating value when everything is free, I think you'd be well on your way to finding success when other people are still holding on to ways that they just can't figure out why they don't work anymore. So finally, the last thing I wanted to do is just talk about how can we add value in the workplace? I know I talk a lot about side hustles and freelancing entrepreneurship, but I do think it's important that especially if you're a side hustler, you have a full-time job. And uh, this stuff is definitely applicable. Most of the stuff I talk about is applicable to your day job as well. So I just wanted to go through these as an example. So with accessibility, could you provide a service to another group? Uh, Could you help them uh, have access to something without owning it? Could you provide a service that they can just tap into your group or your team or you specifically without having to own the process or own the asset, own the technology, whatever it is? Um, Embodiment. I think this would be a huge one for HR, for marketing, for training, learning and development. How can you create a special experience for things that you really want to drive home when it's something really special and you want people to remember it or you want people to jump on board and change? Can you use embodiment instead of just using uh, video and technology or email, whatever it might be? I think that's a huge one. Patronage, this one's a little weird, but I honestly think it's one that could be worth a try. I know a lot of times in the workplace, you're expected to volunteer for things and to be a team player. So when someone from another business group comes and asks you to help with something, if you're a team player, you just say yes and you do it. I think what patronage says is that it is okay at times to ask for something in return, to say, I can do that if. So you're not shaking the person down. That's not what I'm, I'm getting at. But to just be honest about how valuable your time is and put a dollar amount on it or put uh, some other value to it, whatever works in your industry, whatever could be tangible, that that person could contribute and add value to you. And the reason I say that is, They will respect your time more. They will respect your contributions more if they know it costs them something. If they think they can just get everything for free from you, then they have very little commitment to you, very little value in what they're getting from you. Uh, I think it really just increases and, and adds value for everybody when you're realistic about, hey, I'm not just giving away everything for free. I've got a full-time job. I've got other things to do. i got a family and kids, that type of thing. And then finally, uh, discoverability. I think that one goes without saying. Everybody in the workplace is struggling with information overload. Just look at our uh, inboxes. We cannot keep up with email. We can't keep up with uh, instant messaging and all the different things, all the ways information is coming at us. We can't keep up with our skill set. Things are changing constantly. Everybody struggles with what should I do today? Development planning is the most difficult thing now uh, for anybody because it's so hard to know when you've got seven different things you should be working on to improve yourself. How do I do it? Where do I even start? How do I improve myself in these areas? You could be that workplace Sherpa, if you will, the person who offers a a path and says, hey, you know, I read this book or I took this course and this really helped me in this area and I'd love to talk to you about it or I'm willing to host a... uh, an upskilling session on this. I just love to talk to people about it, whatever. 
you can find ways to give people guidance in the workplace and set yourself up, not just as a team player, but as a leader. And I think that's the most important thing. So I'll stop it there. Like I said, I've got to get back to work. But um, as always, if you have any comments or stories or questions, I would love to hear them. Feel free to reach out on Facebook. The page is The Upload Podcast, or you can go to my website, mikegrosier.com. Uh, I'll have the show notes up there with a picture of the place set. Don't worry, I will have the final product so you can see it in all of its glory. Uh, but until next time, I hope you take a risk and move from dreaming to doing. 